Hello and welcome back to the Inner Stoa podcast. Today's podcast will be reading from Meditations from Marcus Aurelius. I was reading this morning from the book and I made a couple notes of some lines that I wanted to read to you today and I'll begin right with that. So this is book six, line 27 uh, from the book I'll put in the description below the exact copy that I read, but it's from Modern Library. So this is book six, line 27. How cruel to forbid people to want what they think is good for them. And yet that's just what you won't let them do when you get angry at their misbehavior. They're drawn toward what they think is good for them, but it's not good for them. Then show them that. Prove it to them instead of losing your temper. So this line took me a couple tries at it, uh, especially the second line when it says, and yet that's just what you won't let them do when you get angry at their misbehavior. And he's, of course, speaking about the previous line, which is how cruel to forbid people to want what they think is good for them. How cruel to forbid people to want what they think is good for them. So what does this mean? I think it means that people are going to obviously do what they think is good for them. Or, I mean, that's why most people do things. And even though it may not be good for them, the solution is not anger. Think rationally. This person is clearly trying to move towards some sort of goal. And they may not, similar to a child, know what's good for them. If a child's going to eat candy right before bed, you wouldn't get mad at the child saying, "How you know, how dare you eat candy before bed?" They think that's good for them. Kids don't know better. Kids think it's okay to eat candy before bed. Of course, as you become an adult, you stop eating candy or hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you stop eating candy before bed. Why? Because you you now know that it's no longer good for you. And hopefully it's because your parents showed you and proved to you this is not good. Maybe your parents let you eat candy one time before bed and you realized, I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, another example actually was uh, from my life is is I had friends that, I, like I don't drink much, very little. I, I like they drink wine, but I don't uh, drink much casually, uh, especially out. But I had friends growing up and they were, um, amongst other things, drinking a lot. And, well, they kept drinking. And, and for whatever reason, they thought this was good for them. Um, over time, I learned that it wasn't. So I stopped. And that was my way of showing them, look at, I'm not going to continue drinking. This is not good for me. I proved it to them because of, you know, it's benefited me from not drinking. And so when they see me now, and I haven't gained all this weight that they've gained from like, you know, the beer belly, that kind of stuff, like I'm a young man. But I mean, as you know, I mean, even when you're in your uh, early 20s, you're going to quickly find that the people who aren't drinking as much, the people who are drinking beer every night, they're going to gain weight. And if you're not, well, if you're making other wise decisions for your health, you're probably going to stay lean. And that's what I've done. And when I see these friends, you know, that I'm no, well, I'm no longer friends with them now, but when I see them out in public, they see me and they think, oh my gosh. So that's my way of proving it, is bettering myself. And that's what the Stoics believe, is that you have to always be bettering yourself and proving to others that by making the right choices, your life does get better. By living in virtue, your life does get better. 
So that's what I got a lot out of line 27. The next line is going to be line 29, so two below, and it goes like this. Disgraceful for the soul to give up when the body is still strong. There's not really much to interpret here. It's exactly that. Disgraceful for the soul to give up when the body is still going strong. And I actually face this quite often because, so I'm a long distance runner. I'm actually training for a marathon currently. And one thing I've been noticing as I've, as I've, you know, I've been running for about a year and a half now, pretty consistently, uh, about three to five days a week, depending on, uh, how my body's handling the running, depending on how long I run. One thing I've been that I noticed over the over the duration of my running career is that in the beginning, sure there was the physical barrier, you know, because I was somewhat out of shape. I actually used to be a pack a day smoker, uh, which if you met me now, it'd be hard to believe. Um, so my initial experience with running was pretty rough because I, I mean, like I said, a pack a day smoker going to try and uh, run, you know, even five k was a a grind now that i've gotten over the physical barriers and my cardio for the you know is at least reasonable i mean i can i can run well i'll be running a marathon at the end of the month but i feel pretty confident about it so my cardio is good so physically i'm there mentally though i still have a little bit of work to go and you know even on my run this morning i noticed you know about you know 20 minutes in my body is fine but my mind starts thinking okay maybe you know, maybe it's time to give up a little bit. Maybe it's, oh, you've had a good week, you know, and your mind starts playing all these tricks on you, right? And you and you slow up or you quit. And I started to realize that your soul does try giving up. Your mind does try betraying you a little bit. And if you can get past that initial, well, if you can navigate your way through that discourse with yourself, your body actually is fine. So consider that the next time you want to quit something or give up on something ask yourself truly is your body actually tired are you actually as tired as you say you are in the morning are you actually burnt out it's it's later in the summer right i mean uh, a lot of my fellow uh, franchise owners and a lot of my employees are saying they're burnt out maybe they are but also maybe they're not and i wonder how many of them have legitimately asked themselves are you truly burnt out Ask yourself, John, Rick, whatever your name is, are you truly burnt out? Feel it. When I'm running, I'll actually say, okay, how's my right leg feel? Okay, it feels pretty good. Ankle's a little sore. Okay, fine. But it's good. How's my left leg feel? Okay, that's also good. Anything else in your body? Okay, mine's pretty clear. Okay, how you breathing? Okay, I'm breathing pretty good. Try and slow your breath a little bit. Okay, yeah, no, I can do that. Oh, okay, I'm not tired. It's just my mind. And then you realize, okay, am I really in a physical war right now or is it a mental war? That's why uh, I find running quite addicting. And I'm sure that for other people who do, you know, whatever physical activity you guys do, uh, I'm sure that you can relate. A lot of, I'm sure a lot of people who hit the gym regularly uh, can relate to this. Okay, the next line is line 30. And this is a bit of a longer line. And have this in the back of your mind as I'm reading this. The ideal right? Sage and non-sage. What's the ideal that you look up to? To escape, to escape imperialization, the indelible man. It happens. Make sure you remain straightforward, upright, reverent, serious, 
unadorned, an ally of justice, poised, kind, affectionate, and doing your duty with a will. Fight to be the person philosophy tried to make you. Revere the gods, watch over human beings, our lives are short. The only rewards of our existence here are an unstained character and unselfish acts. Take Antoninus as your model always. His energy in doing what was rational, his steadiness in any situation, his sense of reverence, his calm expression, his gentleness, his modesty, his eagerness to grasp things, and however he never let things go before he was sure he had examined them thoroughly, understood them perfectly, the way he put up with unfair criticism, without returning to it. How he couldn't be hurried, how he wouldn't listen to informers, how reliable he was as a judge of character and of actions, not prone to backbiting or cowardice or jealousy or empty rhetoric, content with the basics in living quarters, bedding, clothes, food, servants, how hard he worked, how much he put up with, his ability to work straight through till dusk because of his simple diet. He didn't even need to relieve himself, except at set times. His constancy and reliability as a friend, his tolerance of people who openly questioned his views, and his delight at seeing his ideas improved upon. His pity, without a trace of superstition. So that when your time comes, your conscience will be as clear as his. Now how is that for an ideal? I think it's important for all of us to be humble enough to admit that we aren't perfect. We have things to improve upon. Non-sage or sage, we can always be better. We can always be better. And we should be striving to be better. As men, as women, to always be better. I'm going to read that one more time. So if you want, you can skip ahead if you don't want to rehear it. But I think it's just such a great ideal to work towards. This is line 30, book 6. To escape imperialization, that indelible stain, it happens. Make sure you remain straightforward, upright, reverent, serious, unadorned, an ally of justice. Poise, kind, affectionate, in doing your duty with a will. Fight to be the person philosophy tried to make you. Revere the gods. Watch over human beings. Our lives are short. The only rewards our existence here are an unstained character and unselfish acts. Take Antinous as your model always. His energy in doing what was rational, his steadiness in any situation, his sense of reverence, his calm expression, his gentleness, his modesty, his eagerness to grasp things, and how he never let things go before he was sure he had examined them thoroughly, understood them perfectly, 
the way he put up with unfair criticism without returning it, how he couldn't be hurried, how he wouldn't listen to informers, how reliable he was as a judge of character and of actions, not prone to backbiting or cowardice or jealousy or empty rhetoric, content with the basics in living quarters, bedding, clothes, food, servants. How hard he worked, how much he put up with, his ability to work straight through till dusk because of his simple diet, he didn't even need to relieve himself except at state at except at set times. His constancy and reliability as a friend, his tolerance of people who openly questioned his views and his delight at seeing his ideas improved upon, his pity without a trace of superstition, so that when your time comes, your conscience will be as clear as his. Again, how's that for an ideal? There's one line in particular. I mean, the rest of it's pretty straightforward. It's basically just giving you examples of, I mean, I guess how sage-like this man is and how you should strive towards that. I hope that when I'm reading all these uh, antidotes of how pure this man was, that you think to yourself, wow, I wish I could get on that level. The one line here, though, is this. Fight to be the person philosophy tried to make you. To me, I sum this, sum this up as man's work. Each morning when I wake up, I say to myself, okay, time to get after it. I'm going to do man's work. Man's work is fighting to be the man that philosophy is trying to make you. Philosophy can't force you to be anything but what you choose. And what you choose is, is the discourse that you have in your mind. That's the inner stoa. It's the point of this podcast. It's to be better. It's to actually act on the philosophies we read. This is not, now that's a great podcast, but this is not philosophizing. We're not trying to just merely throw ideas out there. There's no mind games here. There's no language wars. There's no, there's none of that. There's no fakery. We're not, there's no mythology to this. We're simply reading about ideals and we're trying to become them. We're trying to imitate them. It's what we do as men. We, we seek things that are positive and we imitate them. And we look within ourselves for negatives and we eliminate them. I'll read the next line. This is line 31. This is about staying in the present. Awaken. Return to yourself. Now, no longer asleep, knowing they were only dreams, clear-headed again, treat everything around you as a dream. Right now, you actually may be in that dream. You may not even be listening to this podcast. You might be driving. These words might not even hit your consciousness. But at some point, you'll, you might bounce back and you might be listening to this podcast, actually listening. That's what Marcus is talking about. 
It's the dream that we live in all the time. We're in our heads, but we're not in control. What is your next thought going to be? What thought did you just have? What are you going to think five minutes from now? Why are you not listening to this podcast? Why are you listening to this podcast? It's a dream. The only real part of your life is the exact moment that you can be living at any given moment. It's not the past. It's not the future. Stop thinking about what could be because you don't know. You can guess. You can have a probabilistic outlook on life, but you can't know for sure. Stop living in the worlds where you have no control. You have a citadel that you're the king of. You're the king of your own mind, or at least you should be. Take back the kingdom. It's your mind. You're safe there. You're safe there if you build up your citadel. If you work towards the ideal. Most of your castles are pathetic. They're plagued with false ideas of how to live. Just like in the previous line that I was reading, we are all doing things that we think are good for us. And slowly throughout life, we discover what is actually good for us. We all used to be that child who wanted to eat candy before bed. Hopefully you're not anymore. Build the citadel. I'll read the next line. This is line 33. It's normal to feel pain in your hands and feet if you're using your feet as feet and your hands as hands. And for a human being to feel stress is normal if he's living a normal human life. And if it's normal, how can it be bad? Is it out of the norm to lose money in business? Why are you stressed? Businesses lose money all the time. They don't make money on every day. They don't make money on every minute. It's, it's a perfectly normal and acceptable thing in business to have the odd slip up that you lose money on. So what's, what, why are you so stressed? It's perfectly normal to have the occasional unhappy client. So why are you stressed? Why are you stressing? It's normal to have someone break up with you if you cheat on them. What is out of the norm? If you use your hands as hands and your feet as feet, and you feel pain, that's normal. I think this is a relatively straightforward quote, but I think that you can apply it to many aspects of your life. Think about the things that, that are causing you distress in your life and think about how often do these happen? Am I getting upset over things that actually happen more often than I think? Am I constantly getting upset over the same things over and over again? Think of something that you can you can eliminate some of these things, right? Like, um, what's an example of something like this? I know that I use it all the time, but the example of getting cut off in traffic, 
the amount of times that you will get cut off in traffic based on, you know, depending on how much driving you do, whatever chance there is, if you do a lot of driving, then you're going to get cut off more often. And so you might find yourself getting upset multiple times every week over the exact same thing that happens. It's normal to get cut off in traffic. Why are you getting worked up into a dither? Consider that. I'll read the next line. This is actually the last line that I have uh, of the stuff that I had recorded earlier. Thieves, perverts, dictators, the kind of pleasures they enjoy. It's a pretty simple line, but there's a little bit to it. Thieves, perverts, dictators, the kind of pleasures they enjoy. This kind of goes hand in hand with the uh, people will do what's good for them, or what they think is good for them, I should say. A thief thinks it's good for him to steal from you. And it kind of makes sense. He is in need of something that you have, and he can simply take it and have it. So why would that not be good for him? He's not thinking of the cost of being a thief. This is beyond the first order consequence of things. This is second order, third order consequence. They indulge in what's easy. It's kind of easy to be a thief. Now, to be a sophisticated thief, okay, well, fine. Maybe there's that there's more difficulty in that, like to steal from a diamond vault. That might be a bit more difficult than just simply just stealing someone's lamp, but. There's a cost associated to it that a thief may not consider, and they're simply indulging in the pleasure of thievery. I actually have one more line that I that I forgot about here. It's a couple pages over. This is line 36, and this is actually from book 7. Kingship. To earn a bad reputation by good deeds. Kingship. To earn a bad reputation for good deeds. I see this line as sort of a, as you move upwards in a hierarchy, as long as you're being virtuous, you should have no shame. If you're the leader because you've made good choices with good intentions, you should have no shame. And it should also not bother you if you have a somewhat bad reputation. It's normal to have people... Now, percentages here are quite important, but as you move up, the total number of people who dislike you and speak ill of you may increase. Now, hopefully the percentage still remains low, so if you have 95% of people disliking you, but only 5% liking you, there, there might be something there. But it's normal to gain people who dislike you as you move upwards. No one's perfect. And as you gain more fame or gain more influence, as you become a more powerful leader, as you take on more responsibility as a man... Or as a woman. When you become CEO or 
when you start your own business, as your business grows, the more employees you have, you will gain people who dislike you. And that is normal. That's a part of kingship. It'd be so interesting to speak with Marcus. I mean, Marcus was a Roman emperor. Think about how vast that empire was. He had people at any given moment, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, yeah, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people who wanted to kill him. In a heartbeat, they would kill him. No worries. And I imagine that Marcus was also the man who had the strength to realize that this was not abnormal. He was one of the most, one of the most powerful men in the world at his time. And he knew that a part of being that man was having people who would want to take you down. It's normal. It's normal. So in saying that, I'll leave the podcast at that. I hope you got some value out of this podcast. I know that I did by expanding on my ideas and by rereading these lines. I'll make sure to revisit them again soon. Farewell.